Hi, Mike Gibson coming to you live from Sky 2017, and I'm joined by Ted Feldman and Myra Guerrero. We're talking about mitral valve repair and replacement. You guys have a very busy program. Tell us about all the options that are out there, and how do you make the choices, Ted? We, we, uh, we do make choices, and I thought a really uh, great way to frame our conversation would be in terms of the discussion that Myra and I have virtually every day as we sort through these very complicated patients. Uh, I think when you come to a meeting, you hear sessions where uh, people talk about repair and replacement, and uh, they're very global, and we talk about all the devices. But our reality is one approved device, MitraClip, mm -hmm. uh, in the catheter world of mitral repair, and then a whole bunch of trials uh, that have very uh, severe anatomic and trial selection criteria and I thought a discussion of how and many patients may not fit into those criteria right ma yeah. many many don't they may fit into European practice mm -hmm. but uh, in our world in the United States not so much and the typical starting point is a referral uh, for mitroclip this might be an older patient multiple comorbidities elevated STS predicted risk of mortality and uh, one of us gets a stack of CDs and about this much paper, and we see first thing, for example, that it's functional mitral regurge, which is off-label for MitraClip in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And then the next discussion is? Other therapies, <laughs> and the, the other thing that we need to mention is that the risk, not just, um, and not all the patients that we get, uh, like they're referred to us, have high risk. So sometimes we get a stack of papers, like you said, and the SDS score is actually very low. They, they come to us, they're younger, and uh, we do try to follow the guidelines. So transcatheter therapies are uh, only approved, or we only have one device approved for patients who are not uh, good candidates for surgery. And uh, we, we do apply the team approach and uh, discuss with our surgeons, and sometimes uh, we do offer those patients surgery. But once uh, we define or confirm that the risk is high, then we start looking at what is that they qualify for. If they um, are good candidates for a therapy that is FDA approved, then they can have that. If not, we do not perform off-label procedures. We try to support uh, clinical trials. So if it's functional MR, uh, we have a clear discussion with the patient about the lack of evidence at this point that uh, doing an intervention to the mitral valve is going to have a significant outcome and we do offer them participation in clinical trials and we do favor randomized clinical trials. So that patient uh, would be encouraged to participate in co-opt if meets the criteria for co-opt. If for some reason does not meet the criteria for co-opt, as you know, there are early feasibility uh, transcatheter mitral valve replacement right. trials that um, are not randomized at early feasibility, but um, therefore the patients would get there. We wouldn't offer a replacement first. We would start with a repair option if that is a good option for the patient. Right. Well, one of the things that uh, has been part of the discussion of the development of catheter valve therapy from the beginning of the pulmonic era, which was really the, the first, uh, is that people with a prior surgical valve that's failing are in many ways an ideal substrate for this next wave of therapy. So this is one group where we have, still in trials, but we have what we think is a pretty good answer, the valve and valve. How many people have been enrolled now in some of these mitral valve re replacement uh, percutaneous trials? Well, um, 
Not many. Not many. If you combine them all, you know, we, we do have in the U.S. maybe you know, three or four, including the mitral, you know, trial, which, you know, ref, um, Ted was referring to also involving patients with valvin, valvin, valvin ring. I think we probably are in the couple hundreds probably around mm -hmm. the world. So, mm -hmm. uh, we at our institution, we participate in, in two trials, the tendine trial for um, replacement that has enrolled more than 50 patients and the mitral trial, which has the three arms, the MAC arm, native arm with mitral annual classification, the valvin, valvin, the valvin ring that has enrolled more than 50 uh, patients also in that trial. So still not, uh, not many patients. And where are we with the anticoagulation following these percutaneous mm -hmm. replacements? Th this is a extremely difficult area. And, you know, we've got our toe in the water with TAVR, where we know that valve thrombosis affects 20% or so of tissue valves and a population where anticoagulation has a bleeding penalty that could offset this uh, the benefit of treating everyone. So we, as you well know, we have several trials in TAVR uh, with different anticoagulation strategies. We're not even scratching the surface on mitral except to say that we have to anticoagulate them for at least several months after right. therapy. Right. The, the other thing that we have coming is a next wave of repair devices. So we have MitraClip approved, uh, but we have a trial for the cardiac dimensions Carillon uh, that is approved and in the startup phase. And we're anticipating uh, IDE trials for the uh, CardioBand and the Pascal device, which is a sort of next-gen type uh, double-edge repair uh, device. So the pathway through all of this is getting increasingly complex for now. As always, right? Mm -hmm. Great. Well, guys, thanks for taking time out. Thanks for joining us. And thanks Thank to all of you for joining us here live from Sky 2017.